Welcome to Never Again Is Now, a podcast about anti-Semitism. Today we talk with a feminist leader about anti-Semitism in the feminist movement. I'm Evelyn Marcus, and in addition to being a psychologist, I am featured in the documentary about anti-Semitism, Never Again Is Now. I am a Dutch Jew and a daughter of Holocaust survivors. In 2006, I immigrated to the United States because of the rising anti-Semitism in Europe. I am Phyllis Zimbler Miller, the founder of the free nonfiction theater project, Thin Edge of the Wedge. I grew up in the town of Elgin, Illinois, small Jewish community, and not Holocaust survivors, parents and grandparents had come to escape the czar and other pogroms in Europe. And yet in September, 1970, only 25 years after the end of World War II and the Holocaust, my US Army officer husband and I found ourselves stationed in Munich, Germany, which changed our lives as Jews forever. Letty Kosin Pogrebin is an American Jewish feminist writer, lecturer, and social justice activist. She is a founding editor of Mrs. Magazine. And the Miss, author... Miss. <laughs> oh, Miss, Miss Magazine, sorry. And the author of 12 books, including Shanda, a memoir of shame and secrecy. Letty, we're thrilled to have you on our show. Welcome. Thank you. I think I should probably introduce myself briefly the way that the two of you did, because I appreciated that. Um, I'm Letty Cotton Pokerman. I was raised in a high conservative Jewish household, meaning my parents had been Orthodox and sort of slided along the scale. Um, one third of my family who stayed in Europe died. The rest of my family who uh, emigrated to the United States thrived. So uh, I think it's written very clearly on my family tree, the, the experience of worldwide Jews who lost a third of ourselves, of our of our total population. Yes. Um, I'm happy to be here. It's very rare that I'm asked to talk about anti-Semitism. Um, <laughs> Because actually, I'm 84 years old, and uh, the situation, troublesome as it is, was sort of under the radar, and now it isn't. So I'm glad you're speaking of it. Thank you. Yes, and and um, so your family has, um, in Europe, has experienced the Holocaust and uh, didn't survive. Um have you yourself experienced anti-Semitism, Letty? Uh, the irony is that the only anti-Semitism I ever experienced was within the women's movement. And that's why I wrote about it in 1982 for Ms. Magazine, which uh, was the, and is still is, the most prominent national and international journal of feminism. We were founded in 1972. And over the course of years, mostly based on the United Nations um, Conference on Women, which was convened in 1975 in Mexico City, and then had a, 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 a Copenhagen Hagen and a Nairobi conference, and finally a conference in Beijing to discuss uh, the state of the world's women. That was, was what it was called, the International Women's a decade of the United Nations. And <laughs> at 
its mandate was to assess the status and condition of women all over the world and to recommend proposals for alleviating suffering, such as hunger and uh, lack of education and lack of housing and um, secondary status in political terms and all of the things that we know define women's lives everywhere to one degree or another. And what came out of the first conference? Zionism is racism. Right. And uh, a number of anti-Semitic, outright flagrant anti-Semitic incidents, which women on the ground reported back were chilling, um, were clearly um, fascistic and Jew-hating and uh, based on, you know, not that just the sense, not just the sense that we killed Jesus, but that there's, we're rotten, we're, we're, uh, it was the protocols of the elders of Zion, of Zion writ large. So I was astonished because I was in the women's movement for the obvious reasons, which was to uplift women from uh, conditions that, that I felt were untenable and um, to, um, highlight the potential of women so that governments and populations would want to um, offer their women every opportunity. Instead, what we get out of the first major conference to address our issues was a Jew-hating thing. Now, I think it's important to establish at the, uh, uh, at the top that I don't think criticism of Israel is necessarily anti-Semitic. I don't. I criticize Israel I am an Israel-loving Jew. But there was a tenor. There is a, a raw kind of um, uh, essentialist nation, a notion uh, involved in the criticism that we heard at the UN events. It was that Jews are racially suspect, are intrinsically bad, cannot be trusted. This had nothing to do with Israel, but they glommed it all onto the... Zionism is racism, which one can debate. It's an issue. I mean, there are things happening in Israel that look quite racist to the outside. And when you're inside, sometimes look even worse. But they're not anti-Semitic in every case. They don't spring from Jew-hating. They spring from concern for the underdog, which in this case is the Palestinians. So that's what drove me to spend eight months of my life interviewing women who were active in the um, feminist movement in the United States. And an article that came out in 1982 that was the longest that Ms. Magazine had ever published. It was eight pages long in which I detail what I heard. I didn't theorize. I had interviews, I had experiences, I had documentation. I said there is anti-Semitism in a movement that purports to free all women. Well, I don't want a movement that frees women to hate Jews. And that's when I became a Jewish identity, identified feminist rather than a secular feminist. Right. Uh, thank you for calling that out. I think that was very important. Uh, where, where did that come from? You said it was solidarity with the Palestinians, but what is yeah, that? You see, in part, uh, I am, it's entirely sympathetic. I'm interested in liberating all those people who are oppressed. I learned that at the Seder table. I learned that at the Shabbat table. You know, we were underdogs for so long. We still are in most places. 
We're 0.2% of the world's population. We're 2.2% of the United States population. We should be identifying with the oppressed because it can happen to us any minute, and it has. It breaks out whenever people are angry and they need someone to blame. We're a very easy target. And now that we have the rising phenomenon of white supremacy, uh, we have the uh, temerity to be white, mostly. Yeah. Yes. Okay. This is our after us in particular, because we don't wear it on our skin. Right. Let's step back for a minute. And just for to review, so I was uh, in Munich from September 70 to May 72. When I returned to Philadelphia, the city where my uh, husband grew up, I was asked to join this, what was the second Jewish women's uh, group in the in United States, maybe the world. The first was in New York. But I think most of our listeners won't know about, and I'm reading your book, Shonda, and in 1970, you, as you yourself say, we were all in 1970 where we were here and suddenly in 1972, we were there. Can you give a really quick overview of the feminist movement starting in the United States and the Jewish feminist movement alongside it? Yes, um, the feminist movement really, I would say was taking root in the late sixties and it uh, arose from the um, other liberation movements and the anti-war movement. I mean, there was movement in the air, literally. And once you start looking at um, the oppression of people of color, you start to notice that there also are hierarchies in other orders of human beings. And gender was the original one, you know, Adam and Eve, original gender hierarchy right there. <laughs> and so everything else is modeled from the gender hierarchy. Um, and I think, as I said before, when people get uh, discontent about their own status, when they're economically pressed or when they're feeling uh, uncomfortable about their government or ashamed of their government, they need a scapegoat. Um, in terms of the beginning of the women's movement, the scapegoat for some people was men in general, okay? Men oppress women. But then it broke down into very um, interesting little niches about, well, it's solidarity to fight against racism. So there was a way of sort of turning away from the inner, inner flaws of, the, of, the, of one's own community. What's wrong out there? Well, out there, there's a women's movement and it looks like it's dominated by white women and it happens to have a lot of Jewish women in leadership. You couldn't miss Betty Friedan, <laughs> founder of uh, the National Organization for Women and had written the book, The Feminine Mystique. And uh, Gloria Steinem's name was Jewish, uh, although she was raised Jewish, though she did have a Jewish father. So that was sort of suspicious. And Barbara Seaman, who was the founder of the women's health movement within the women's movement. She was Jewish. I mean, up and down the line, even the radical feminists, they all were Jews. Kathy Sarah Child changed her name because it was a Jewish name and she wanted, didn't want a man's name. And so she made her name Kathy Sarah Child. 
um, child of Sarah. <laughs> so there were all of these very peculiar uh, mini uprisings within feminism. And um, at a certain point in the early 70s, as I, I would say I, I start identifying with feminism in 1968, when it's taken its radical form and it has sprung out of the loins of the um, civil rights and anti-war movements, which were entirely male, male run movements. So the women's movement said, wait a minute here, we're, we're not being given leadership, we're asked to make coffee, we're put behind the lines, we're never put in front of the press. They start a movement. Many of them, Robin Morgan, for example, were Jewish. And as I said, others on the more even radical end were Jewish look like they were sort of preponderantly Jewish. But within Judaism, it took till about the early 70s for Jewish women to start looking at their own. You know, wait a minute, we're working in solidarity, but look at look in our own garden here. Men are, are superior, above us, ruling us, getting all the plums, getting all the jobs, being overpaid. And women were then beginning to rise within um, the faith itself with synagogue life and Jewish organizational life. And so they began as Rat Nashim, which is, um, I think, the first. The yes, first. The New York became, one. And K became an, a, an, a, 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 a specifically identified Jewish um, feminist movement. Lilith was founded. Lilith Magazine was founded. Women were being ordained by um, Hebrew Union College, by the Reform Movement, and then by the Conservative Movement in 1985. And all of that congealed to make us, who were secular feminists, uh, grow sort of two wings that could fly in either world. I remain very much a secular feminist, identified with other groups working on issues that were com common issues. But I burrowed in as a Jewish feminist because of what happened in the UN Women's Conferences and what we were starting to realize was happening here, which I reported on in that article that was eight pages long in Ms. Now, what was I reporting on that was happening here? And... Um, to somebody who had a swastika plus, you know, stuck on their store, this may not seem major, but within a group of women who are supposedly working for each other's good and equality, it was shocking. Women would be sitting around planning a September, and someone like myself would say, well, wait a minute, that's... Um, that's Kol Nidre, that's Erev Kol Nidre, our holiest night of the day of the year. Oh, well, there's so few of you who, who, who um, observe. I said, wait a minute, you know, wait a minute. <laughs> would you, would you, would you uh, convene a conference on Christmas Eve? Would you convene a conference on Good Friday? Would you convene a conference on, on Easter? You know, you don't count how many Christians observe. You don't use those dates for our events. And we had a fight for that. Or we were getting reports from some colleges that posters about gatherings for Jews, like uh, Havdalah, or a, an Israeli speaker, or a, a Torah, or, or a Hora dance group, were getting ripped off bulletin boards, 
or defaced, or there were signs on stuck on people's uh, dorm doors. Things were happening on campus that were very disturbing. And I had reports of this over and over again as I did my reporting for eight months, speaking to more than 80 Jewish feminists and simply made a case that we have to attend to anti-Semitism the way we attend to racism and now the way we attend to Islamophobia. And I believe that the women's movement has responded appropriately for the most part. I'm sure there are outliers, but I have never seen anything comparable. What I have seen is the politics of Israel-Palestine complicating the issue of anti-Semitism. And I push back against that because I think it's being used to squelch legitimate uh, criticism of Israel, particularly now when Israel skews so ridiculously right-wing and fascist. You need to be able to speak up and you can't use uh, charges of anti-Semitism against those who notice what I know. What, uh, what was the reaction of that article though? Well, the first reaction, which was fair, but to me, um, it showed a little embarrassment. And what, what um, don't forget, I was a founding editor. So I sat in the editorial meetings and my sister editor said, we gave you eight pages. We, <laughs> need, to give, we need to give the letters column to people who disagree. I said, why does it have to be all the letters? <laughs> you know, I fought, for, I fought for some balance of people who wrote letters that said, I'm so grateful you are reporting what happened to me or this has been troubling me. We didn't publish any of those. I understood why. You give eight pages to my voice, you've got to give some something that comes anywhere, even a little tiny bit near it to the people who disagree. So if you ever look up the, the letters column in the uh, issue that followed mine. I forgot what date mine was in 1982, but it must have been still 82 or maybe early 83. They were all people who picked me apart mostly on the basis of um, what I said about it. It, criticizing Israel is not anti-Semitic. You know, that I should have criticized Israel more, that I should have been more um, honest and overt in my recognition that um, people who oppose what's happening, uh, and it was under both governments, labor and Likud, um, that people who oppose what's happening are not necessarily anti-Semitic. They are criticizing real problems. And I should have said that, which probably I should have, but I, but I didn't feel it at the time because I didn't realize what was going to happen, which is happening right now with the IRA definition. Which you want we to talk have. about what's happening with the IRA definition right now? Yeah. Well, the man who wrote the IRA definition, Ken Roth, didn't mean for it to be used the way it's being used now. And what the problem is, is not with his language. His language is fine. It's the addendum. It's the appendix. It's right. what's right under it, which highlights and forefronts criticism is Israel is, you know, this, this, and that, and that, and, and, and cat, uh, uh, qualifies as anti-Semitism. I push back on that. I mean, that is simply not true. And I'm out there 
the people who get all upset, they're not out there talking to people, seeing what's really being said. Um, so it troubles me because what happens when we when we do that, when we conflate criticism, all criticism of Israel with anti-Semitism, we lose sight of what real Jew hating is about. And we get lost in the weeds of what's, what did this Israeli say? What do you mean apartheid? Have you been to Nablus? I want the, but if you look at Ramallah, I mean, you have to have my familiarity to be able to kind of deconstruct the, the real, the anti-Semitism in the criticism of Israel and the simple heartfelt terror that Israel is turning into a fascist state. You know, Let, let's um, step aside for a minute and talk about, though, whether you find anti-Semitism still in the feminist movement, especially on college campuses. It's not on the in the feminist movement on college campuses. It, it's in college on college campuses, period. So, I mean, feminists are people like others. So if there's anti-Semitism rising in the United States, presumably it's rising among feminists. It's rising among women and men. It's rising among people of color and white supremacists. It's rising. Um, what troubles me the most, uh, Phyllis, is that we are, are between a, a rock and a hard place. Because if we call out, for example, an athlete who recently you know, I forget which which athlete who recently said some abhorrent thing about Jews and stood and stood by it. You know, I'm not going to be silenced, blah, blah, blah. And we push back because Jews are supposed to fight. We're not supposed to walk to the to the to the ovens anymore. So we push back. And when we succeed. That proves Jewish power, which gives more ammunition for people to hate Jews. So we're in a really tough bind. And that's why I want to push, uh, I want to pick and choose our battles very carefully. I don't want what Ira is doing, which is conflating criticism of Israel with Jew hating, because then it dilutes, it confuses, it muddles. And people need to stay very clear that What's happening in Israel now and what has been happening in Israel, which people haven't noticed until now, and what's happening in the West Bank and what, you know, the settlers, violence, all of the things that people point to and have documented proof of. When you criticize that, you're not an anti-Semite. You would criticize the same thing if it was happening in Detroit. And, and because it's happening in Israel, we as Jews who are socially aware um, other directed in the most healthy sense, generous sense, in the sense of you shall not oppress the stranger for you were strangers in the land of Egypt. In that sense, we have got to make really clear that we don't consider you an anti-Semite if you have a political opinion. It has nothing to do with you hating. It has to do with the behavior of a government. Yes, Letty, uh, uh, from what my understanding is, but maybe you have a different understanding of the IRA definition, is that it doesn't want to stifle criticism of Israeli policies, but that it wants to count as anti-Semitic what, what uh, Nathan Sharansky called the three Ds, which is 
it crosses the line according to this definition of of anti-Semitism, if the criticism of Israel is about the existence of the state, of a Jewish state as such. But that's, a, but that's a conclusion that you base on somebody criticizing the Israeli government. That is not saying, I don't want there to be in Israel. It's just like when Trump no. was in, when Trump if you If you criticize the prime minister's uh, uh, policies um, of, of of Israel, um, that's according to the IRA definition, as far as I understand it, not anti-Semitic. But if you say Israel has, doesn't have the right to exist, and if you say all that matters is, so if you put double standards to Israel uh, compared with other democracies, then that's considered anti-Semitic. And if you demonize Israel, like with old-fashioned uh, anti-Semitic tropes, like uh, yeah. a state yeah. that ma manipulates the world, a state that... Exactly, exactly, that, exactly. That's, but that's very different. Yeah. The old tropes, we understand. The, the, the hatred that springs from nothing but, you know, fiction about who we are. I mean, that we have lasers. Yeah. Remember, we have lasers, according to Marjorie Taylor Greene, our congresswoman. And and if we look at the, but I'm looking. Let me let me just yeah. read this, so that your listeners can remember what we're talking about. This is the proposed legally non legally binding working definition of anti-Semitism according right. to IRA. Anti-Semitism is a certain perception of Jews, which may be expressed as hatred. And physical manifestations of anti-Semitism are directed toward Jewish or non-Jewish individuals and or their property, toward Jewish community, institutions, and religious facilities. That says nothing about Israel should not exist. No, that should, the, that addendum. Should, the addendum. I'm, I'm objecting to the addendum. I'm just pointing to what I just read, which if it didn't have the addendum, I would be passionately in support of because each individual case would be looked at in the light of those words. When you put words to it with what you call the addendum, you really get into big trouble because calling for uh, or aiding or justifying the killing or harming of Jews in the name of a radical ideology, of course, Making mendicious, dehumanizing, demonizing, uh, stereotypical Jews as power of Jews, of course. Accusing Jews as a people of being responsible for wrongdoing, of course. But why do we need to say that? Everybody knows that's what anti-Semitism is. Yeah, there is. Uh, denying, wait, let me just finish because I'm going to get to the one that's really impossible. Um. Denying the Jewish people their right to self-determination by claiming the existence of the state is a racist endeavor. Look what's going on in that sentence. Look what's going on in that sentence. There are people who uh, consider Israel a racist endeavor because to them, it is a racist endeavor. It doesn't mean they want Jews to not exist the Jewish people to not exist, the Jewish determination to right exist. It's suddenly it's about Israel. Yeah. Accusing the Jews as a people or Israel as a state of inventing and exaggerating the Holocaust. Yes, of course. 
accusing Jews of being loyal to Israel. Yes, of course, because we're citizens of the countries we live in. But as soon as you start saying the existence of Israel is a racist endeavor, means you don't want there to be a, an Israel, that is nonsense. It doesn't mean that. It means you think Israel is a racist endeavor, which right now it wants to be. No, if, in fact, what, as far as I understand it, it's about the existence, like anti, like Zionism is racist. That? Zionism is racist, and that's that's what they mean there in in my mind. But but I think because we only have a few it's, more minutes left, I think that it's things that Zionists were doing, and it had chapter and verse. The point that I objected to back then was that that was the only proposal, the only. Uh, endorsed proposal that came out of an international women's conference that was targeting Jews because Jews are Zionists. And that's what I have to oppose to. We have to Lahavdil. You know what Lahavdil? Yeah. To differentiate Jews, to Jews, Lahavdil is, you know, we have ways of clarifying what we mean. And this muddles it because now, I would be a, an anti-Semite because I say the state of Israel is becoming a racist endeavor. No, that's not what. It, that's not. That's not what the definition wants to say. In I know, but as far as I understand, I it, know, but I don't understand it your way. <laughs> that's what it's, makes us. I'm going to make a joke. That's what makes us Jews. There's it three does, of us. We it, probably have six opinions. But it also makes it very problematic to sign on to this because of the addendum. That's what I'm saying. Because under this addendum, I'm an anti-Semite. Because it says, it says, are you kidding? <laughs> I'm one of no. the, all, uh, the, the most, you know, Jewish Jews you can find. Is, is that, that that the exist saying, claiming the existence of a state of Israel is a racist endeavor means I deny, that's that conflation means I deny our people the right to self-determination. One is about a state and its government, and one is about a people and their right to determination. This state, if it becomes um, the state of of um, the the current prime minister, of, I, I always block his name, Benj Benjamin, oh God, we know who we in which uh, Arabs and Jews of color, Ethiopians, everybody who isn't re religious is it has a, a lesser status, which is what's happening, a lesser status for those who are not Orthodox Torah Jews, then I'm against it. And I will be against it as long as I live. I was which, eight years old. When which, is fine, uh, which is fine under the IRA definition. But anyway, let, let's, no, let's move on. To, yeah, we because yeah, we're coming to the end. And Evelyn, do you have one or two other questions bef before we uh, finish this exciting? So, I know yeah. it, is, it is exciting, and as I said, I haven't I haven't uh, had the opportunity to. I've written on it this, but I haven't had the opportunity to speak about it. So I'm grateful to you. I I think uh, would you want Israel to live under Smotrich and Ben Gavir? I. Um, I am apolitical, meaning I, I oh, personally okay. feel that if I don't live in Israel, I don't really have the right. Uh, 
Okay. Well, we didn't live in Israel and we helped found the state. Golda got money here and got the, and we we uh, lobby our government. We help Israel as much as anyone humanly can. I'm a Zionist. That's what I do. So I have an opinion, just like I have an opinion about what's going on in Nigeria, except this opinion comes with love. Yes. And um, so I'm uh, sorry. I'm, I'm very excited and, and upset about this because what's happening to the country I've loved since I was a child is um, yes, devastating yes, but, to me. Devastating yes. to me. But you know, Letty, we, we are another show about uh, the politics of Israel or the politics of That's, the United States. And I we, wish we could say that anti-Semitism has nothing to do with either, but it does. You can't talk about anti-Semitism without talking about Marjorie Taylor Greene. You sure can't. But we can talk or about or Trump. No, we can't. And then you're we're, we're under a blanket, and we're not. We don't have the tools unless we can engage that with each other, with the best of intentions and a lot of love and respect for each other. But we've got to be able to not shove under the rug who's doing this stuff. Why is it anti-Semitism such? People thought it never happened because he has a Jewish grandchild, grand, Jewish grandchildren. Whoa, it happened. Remember, there were good people on both sides of Charlottesville. You can't put that under the rug. And what's well, happened? I, I have a different opinion about that, but that's not what this show is about. Oh. Because then we land... In this, in the, in the same, um, um, how do you say, uh, polarization? You know, there, there are people who who see the anti-Semitism of one side and not of the other side uh, on both sides. That's very yes, well said, Evelyn. So it's very well said, Evelyn. But you, you are a show that should be able to um, showcase both and showcase people of passion, not people who just speak politely. I think. <laughs> Not a polite discussion anymore. We're under, we're under duress, and we may be in danger. We need oh. to be honest in this in this period. Um, I, I think we need to be very honest, and that that your show should be brave, and should say anything anyone wants to say, because we need a colloquy here that hears all voices. And we also need to help our listeners, though, know what they can say. This is my own special interest. On a day-to-day -day basis, when someone says to, to their face something that sounds at first not anti-Semitic, oh, you Jews are so good at making money. And we That's need to- anti-Semitic. You don't yes. need a definition for that. <laughs> yes, but I, Letty, having, I'm on chapter 34 of your book. I just want to tell you this. Your background and my background were nine years apart. It's like night and day. You grew up among Jews. I grew up among non-Jews. Very small synagogue. Not that we didn't have Hebrew. Where was that? In Elgin, Illinois. It's outside Chicago. It might as well have been on the moon for how close it was to Chicago. <laughs> what, I'm, what I'm trying to tell you is, you have no idea, and I'm now I'm giving it back to you a little bit. Good, good. Living outside, what do we call it? The coast, whatever, the East Coast. What the rest of the country is. Forget Los Angeles. Forget certain areas of Chicago, what they know about Jews. And you froze. 
And it's so important that each one of us take this responsibility to educate. I am thrilled that my hometown, which I never would have believed in a million years, has just paid for a teacher and free tuition for 21 students to take a five-week course that I'm the advisor for on doing, they're doing documentaries on the Holocaust. These are people who don't, kids, teens, who don't knowingly know what a Jew is. The fact that their teacher is Jewish, they may or may not know. And one of the things that our show is committed to is encouraging each one of us individually to think, how can I spread that education? How can I teach people that Jews don't have horns? I'm serious. There are- I, I experienced that exact thing in Kansas. I went to give a speech at the University of Kansas. And at the end, a small group of people came up to me to talk about what I had said and the subject of feminism and Ms. Magazine. And one of them raised her hand and she says, may I please feel your horns? <laughs> okay. I, I mean, I don't live, didn't live with that, but boy, I know what it feels like. So that's what we're, we're so committed to trying to get our listeners to act. To not just listen to this program and say, oh, that's nice, move on to the next Netflix show. We want them to act without putting themselves in physical harm and any way they can to educate people. To say, I'm not famous, you're famous, we're not famous. What I'm saying is, even if you're not famous, what can you do? Last week, we uh, we uh, we recently had someone, Adam Glass. He wrote the Never Again episode of Queen Latifah's show, uh, The Equalizer, and he said that he realized that he could use his platform. And the entire episode was about uh, anti-Semitic incidents today in some neighborhood in New York that probably means a lot more to you than, I mean, it meant nothing to me. And afterwards, he said that the crew, there was about 200 on a regular TV show, they were so, they came up to him. They were so pleased that he tackled that subject. And it wasn't all black and white. You know, he he wrote the episode with an Israeli together and he allowed, allowed, I mean, what's the word? You know, he put other arguments in the dialogue. But that's what we need to do is to well, have dialogue, but to educate people. I'm so glad that you, you said that because to me, education is activism and I'm an activist. So the reason why I went on for longer than I might have, or that might have been polite, um, is because I hear all the time young young people say, I don't know what to answer people when they talk about Israel. I am giving you and your listeners, I hope, a way to differentiate, to separate, to not make assumptions. Um because as soon as young people get involved in the Israel debate, they don't know what to say. And you are not going to be able to educate them on that in one day or <laughs> one week. Okay, right? So so some basics need to be clarified. And I believe if people listen to our conversation today, they will open their minds to the fact that they can criticize Israel, but they had better test it against whether there's a an anti-Semitic component. And they better separate, am I criticizing the government or am I criticizing the Jews? Am I criticizing Ben Gavir or am I criticizing the right to Israel to, to exist? Because until they can do that, they're gonna get in a can of worms they'll never get out of. And the person who they're arguing with will know more. Because the kids who are protesting, they know how to argue, our kids don't. 
I love that. I was going to give you last thoughts, but I want that to be the last thoughts because that's such a clear, specific call to action. I love that. So we thank you so much, Letty. We thank our listeners for listening. Uh, those of you who haven't uh, seen Evelyn's documentary, Never Again is Now, very important that you see that as part of this conversation. It's on Amazon and YouTube. You can learn more about my nonfiction play at Thin Edge What's of the Witch. Evelyn's documentary? I, you froze. Oh, Never Again is Now. It's on Amazon and YouTube. It talks about both anti-Semitism in Europe and then an epilogue in the United States. I mean, an epilogue about in the United States. And my play has firsthand testimonies of survivors and saviors with the intent of encouraging young people to speak up now. And as we say at the end of every show, without putting yourself in physical harm, please speak up against anti-Semitism and all hate. Uh, I want to give you one recommendation. Okay. I just saw, saw a, a film, short film, called You Shall Not Play Wagner. Did You You will not play Wagner. Um, uh, it's a thought-provoking, what does it say about? Well, I'll just tell you what it's about. It's a, about a woman who is funding a prize in Israel, a music prize. And the, uh, 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 no, sorry, an international music prize. And the finalist, finally, is an Israeli. She's been waiting years for the finalist to be an Israeli. She's a, a Holocaust survivor. And the Israeli who wins wants to play Wagner. And that desire of his and her freezing up and horrified and all of her memories coming back created a, a dialogue between young. He's he's in his like he's 20, maybe 20. She's obviously a survivor quite old. And uh, Annette um, Miller plays the survivor. That dialogue between old and young, with the basis being um anti-Semitism raw anti-Semitism and through music. I just thought it was brilliant. And it also raises what the issue of what uh, Baron Boeing did. Do you remember what Baron Boeing did? Mm -mm. He announced it to the Israel Phil when he was playing there that he was about to play a Wagner that he loved. And he made an argument for how, you know, Wagner wasn't alive. And even though it was Hitler's favorite, even this, he made a musician's argument a purist musician's argument. He said, I want to give everyone here who would be offended, hurt, wounded, or have memories rise up that they could that are devastating to, ha to have the opportunity to leave the room. And I think half left. So this little film would be a wonderful educational um, tool for you. Thank I think you. You, you can email it. You will not play Wagner. You will not play Wagner, she said. <laughs> okay. Thank you so much. Okay. Bye, everyone.